Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me, Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of musicians is lost and restricted. Having both suffered in silence with mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds as we are committed to raising awareness for all varieties of struggle. So join me, Hattie and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about. thank you so much for agreeing to come and talk to us today how are you doing first of all thank you for inviting me it's an absolute pleasure to have an opportunity to talk about what I do with with fellow music musicians and music professionals um I'm actually I have to admit I'm rather tired because I've been running a concert today um one of the things that I do is um run a concert series in Weymouth near where I live in South Dorset with the pianist Duncan Honeybourne and today's concert was our first concert of 2022 so it was really lovely um, and it was great to see our audience again Um, and I felt that we're beginning to get back to normal which is really important especially for our industry so is that the first one since the pandemic or had there been a couple no we we actually restarted last autumn in September um, and we had three really good concerts, um, sold out um, audiences of about 80 in the church where we hold them. Um, and given that our audience generally are very elderly people, the fact that they came back in their droves was really encouraging. Um, mm. And then we had a Christmas concert planned for December and we just felt that given the situation at that time, we should postpone it, which was a great pity. Um, but you know, we have to be careful and mindful of the audience. So they were very happy to be back today and we were very happy to see them. Who was performing today? Um, Today we had a lovely bassoonist called Antonia Lazenby. No, Antonia? Oh, yeah. Small world. Um, And she was accompanied by Duncan, who's our artistic director and pianist, and very interesting programme and um, actually very, very enjoyable. Um, We try to give our audiences unusual repertoire um not mainstream and they they're very receptive and basically happy to listen to anything so it, it's kind of win-win <laughs> mm, i think um i it's so weird honestly i'm just so baffled by like how coincidental it is that literally last night i was on this music society's website like looking at it because i i remember reading something about how you're very keen to support young musicians earlier in their yes. career and that's something i thought wow like because i have a piano trio and the struggle we have mm-hmm. talking to music societies, trying to trying to play, just trying to play, wanting to enjoy yeah. performing to people, and just feeling like we're up against huge names all the time, and there's there's no room for us. And I just remember reading on on that website, on your website, clearly um, about that, and it just really struck me like, wow, that that's clearly something that is really needed, but you don't often see. Uh, yeah, for me as as well, like I like to do a lot of contemporary music. And that is the thing that you often run up against is that you feel that you should, 
Like if you want to do contemporary music, you maybe do one piece in a program, mm. but you got to sandwich it between, like I, I was about to say Beethoven, but he didn't write anything for trumpet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, something not so contemporary. So that's yeah, really amazing to hear that, especially uh, an older audience is receptive to contemporary mm. music. That fills my heart with a lot of joy. Yeah. They are amazing. I mean, we we give them all sorts of stuff. Um, but it, this is driven by Duncan, the, who founded the series 20 years ago. It's our, our 20th birthday this year, which is really special. I mean, the fact that it's been going that long is a is huge credit to Duncan. And I took over as concerts manager um, in 2019. Um, and having moved down here from London, this was like a kind of dream job to be because I like I like doing admin. Um, and I like the admin of running the concerts and I like the, the contact with the performers and, and the audience. And um, so and it's just Duncan and I. We don't have a committee. We don't have trustees. So it, it's largely driven by Duncan's vision. And he's very keen to support young artists and also to to present unusual or lesser known repertoire. So today we had a bassoon sonata by William Hurlstone, which I had never heard of. I had to have to admit, I hadn't even heard of the composer before today. And it was absolutely fabulous. And the audience came out beaming and, you know, full of praise. So I think it's a myth that audiences are unadventurous. I think it's more that, that perhaps promoters are, are concerned that if you put contemporary music or unusual repertoire into a programme, people won't come. And I, I, I feel that what we do is kind of make people feel comfortable about hearing music that is different shall we say I mean we don't put a lot of you know kind of squeaky gates shall we say <laughs> uh, contemporary music in in our programs but now and then we do and like you say if it's presented in the context of other pieces um, and the other thing that we always do it, it, either Duncan or the other guest performers will talk about the repertoire so I think that also gives audiences a way in. It, it makes them feel immediately connected and to understand why musicians have chosen certain repertoire. So I think we, I feel we're doing really good things for, for promoting classical music Thank in this you. area. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, this. I've got so many questions for you about, about where you've come from and, and how you got started with everything. But in terms of your being a pianist and the kind of musical side of things, can you sort of explain a bit to us about how you found yourself as a pianist and your journey with that a little bit maybe oh goodness well it's a long time ago I mean I started having piano lessons when I was about five so that's I'm afraid 50 years ago um and I don't know why I learned the piano because when you're five um you don't I you know you don't think about things like that I think it was because my grandparents had a piano and my granddad used to play like Methodist hymns and bits of Beethoven and Haydn he adored Beethoven and I think I probably used to sit next to him when I was a little girl and I liked the the fact that the piano was kind of an instrument that made a nice sound really from the get-go um, and so I had lessons right through till when I was 18 and I did all my grades and I did O&A level music and I was very keen to go to music college. Um, but I had a teacher at school that discouraged me. And what I have found very interesting was, you know, when I returned to playing the piano after a gap of some 20 years, that that comment that that teacher had made to me at 17 had stayed with me. And it was the thing that kind of drove me to actually go on having come back to the piano in my late 30s to then take 
um, three professional performance diplomas, of which I passed two with distinction. I didn't get the final one. Um, but it's quite interesting that that sort of thing, and it's something I've come across with conversations with other musicians, I mean, particularly amateurs, because I've had quite a lot of involvement with amateur pianists in particular, um, is that people carry those things from childhood um, and it can just take one comment from a teacher at school or at university that can, can colour your attitude. Um, and I, you know, after playing now for nearly 20 years again, um, I feel like I've kind of got past that now. <laughs> it's it's gone. I've put it all in, you know, to aside, and I'm very happy with what I'm doing, um, and enjoying being a being an amateur pianist. I, I very rarely perform. I have occasionally, but I, you know, it's just the pleasure of the instrument, really. Yeah, I think Hattie and I both have also had experiences of a teacher saying something specific, and it just sticking with you. I mean, also in all walks of life that somebody can just say something that they will never remember in the future that just will not leave your head, mm. like word for word. Um, so am I right in thinking that you are glad that you didn't go to music college or yes. was it the other way around? Can you explain more about that? Mm. Well, I, I think probably at 17, you know, when you'll be thinking about going to university, I had a rather kind of um, rose-tinted idea about what conservatoire life would be like. Um, and it was, I was fortunate that at my school, I also had a very good English teacher who in, encouraged my interest in, in English literature. And I ended up going to university to study medieval and Anglo-Saxon literature, which, as my son said to me recently, is not that useful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it taught me how to write essays, which has turned out to be useful in my blogging and other mm. writing um, work. But when I so when I returned to the piano, once I'd sort of got more established and the blog had taken off, that's when I started to meet young people who were in conservatoire or recent graduates and conversations with them was very eye opening. Um, and so also conversations with older professional musicians who'd been through the system and seemed quite disillusioned about it. Um, and it made me realise that if I had gone, I think that I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And I might have had that pleasure in music taken away from me. Um, and I think it's a great pity if people feel that, um, that you know, they've been through a system that's, that's robbed them of the joy of music. Because I think fundamentally that's what it's about. Whether you're a professional or amateur musician, it, it should be something enjoyable that the actual... For me, it's the physical pleasure of playing the instrument, the sound, the music and all the things that go with it. I mean, I, I love going to concerts and um, experiencing live music. And I wonder whether it would have been different if I'd taken a different path at 18. I think it probably would have been. Mm -hmm. I think that's so spot on and incredibly yeah. insightful. Yeah, because I think I think I've had I, I probably you as well. Like we've both had that feeling of like this kind of, what's the word, paradox of sort of like, oh, I can't not do it, but also I feel like I'd be a lot happier and I'd love it a lot more if I wasn't doing it and if it was just for fun. And, you know, there's there's so much going on kind of back and forward to do with that. But I'm, I'm wondering kind of what you did do. I'm just very nosy. You know, what did you do in those 20 years? You know, what did your life involve? Was there anything kind of musical going on or what was your sort of line of work? Well, no, I mean, I, I, I gave up playing the piano at 19. I went to university. There was a piano in my hall of residence, but it was out of tune. 
but I did have a very good friend and I'm she's still a very good friend of mine who played the cello so occasionally we would try and ramble through some piano and cello music but it was so disappointing because the piano was out of tune I sang in the university choir which I enjoyed um, but apart from the odd noodle on a friend's grand piano um, very very occasionally I didn't touch the instrument um, and instead coming out of university with a degree in English I went into to academic publishing uh, where I worked for 10 years and then I had my son and I stopped work um, and then my mother bought me a digital piano and said you might like to start playing again and that was what got me going and so by that time my son was settled at primary school and I had more time and then one day one of the mums at school said oh you play the piano don't you you could teach my daughter and I had no experience of being a teacher I had no inclination to to be a teacher but then I thought actually this is something I can do at home and it fits in with the school day um, and I thought well you know nothing ventured which is kind of my <laughs> general attitude to life I'll, I'll try it um, and I I found it quite difficult to start with because it was sort of new territory. But um, by the, that Christmas, I think I had a studio of about 15 students and, and the beginnings of a waiting list. And it was it just took off. And once I kind of decided how I wanted to do it, it was very much driven by how I had been taught. So as a little girl, I had a very old fashioned teacher. And it was very much that you had to learn the piece of music and no matter how dull it was, it was all, you know, you had to learn it properly. So I remember weeks and weeks of seeing the same wretched piece of music. It was so boring. And <laughs> then I, when we moved from the Midlands to North London, I had a very good teacher who was kind of encouraged a much more sort of thinking outside the box attitude to playing and, and never never sort of criticised me if I turned up with, with music that I had selected, which I was interested in learning, you know, we didn't have to just stick to the grade stuff. So those experiences coloured my attitude to teaching and I, I determined from the outset that no student of mine would be bored because it's such a, a dismotivating thing to be bored. So I'd let the kids, you know, choose what music they wanted to play and it, so that's kind of how I got back into it. Um, mm. That was 2006. And I taught for 12 years in London before we moved. Um, and then the blog and all of the other things I yeah. did followed on from that. Well, the blog is just, I suppose, why probably any, anyone listening will know you. And I mean, I've just got so much to ask about it. And also I find out, I found a lot of other guests through your blog <laughs> which is kind of why I wanted to talk to you because I don't know how, how do I start this I suppose I want to know um what was the idea what was the inspiration behind you know did you just have a kind of real inkling you wanted to know more about musicians lives or, or how did this idea to talk to musicians and and make that a big part of your your life how did that begin Oh, well, you're referring perhaps to the Meet the Artist series. Meet the Artist, yeah. That, yeah, that came a bit later. So I started the blog in 2010. And prior to that, I had been writing a food blog, um, which was a, just a sort of hobby thing. Um, and I think this is a hangover from having, you know, done an English degree. I like writing. I'd always enjoyed writing, even as a child. I wrote poetry and, you know, essays and and you know piece, pieces of creative writing I'd always enjoyed writing so it was a good outlet and, and doing the food blog taught me how to set up a blog 
And then because I was beginning to, by 2010, I was having regular piano lessons again with a professor at Trinity, private lessons. And um, she was the person that, that restored my confidence and helped me put that comment from the music teacher at school in a box. And she said, you should consider doing a diploma. And it suddenly I was like, yes, this is now, now it's serious. And so the blog started initially really as a kind of practice diary where I could go and write about my experiences. Um, so rather than keeping a notebook, I wrote the blog. So I wrote about the music I was learning. I would report back on my lessons and the things that I had learned that day at my teachers and how I would reflect on that. And then I started writing about concerts I was going to, and I got approached by Bark Track to be one of their reviewers, which I did for six years, six or seven years. Um, yeah, so that, that's how it started. And it was all very random. And I thought, oh, you know, it won't last long. Um, I'll get bored or I won't have time to do it. But it just found that I, it's quite addictive, actually. Um, I, mm. like, I like the activity of writing. And it was also very complimentary to the piano playing because it just gave me an opportunity to reflect on what I was doing. And then after a while, I thought possibly what I'm doing might help other people. Um, and I, I was also involved with an amateur piano group at this point. I'd set up a club for amateurs with a, with a pianist friend. And I was, I was finding that there were people like me who had had, you know, returners, as we're called, who had very similar experiences to me. And suddenly I thought, I'm not alone. There's lots of us. And, and we, we all want to talk about it. And so the blog became a kind of forum for that as well. Um, the Meet the Artist series, which is celebrating its 10th birthday this year, which I find hard to believe. Congratulations. Yeah. That's so cool. So the blog is 12 years old this year. The Meet the Artist series is 10 in April. And that came about, it was just like another sort of random thought. So I, I think one of the tricks of being a successful blogger is to, to be regularly producing new, new and interesting material. So I was... I, I run quite a few series, sometimes they're occasional series or more regular things. I've just launched something called Repertoire in Focus, which is people contributing essays about specific repertoire, not just piano repertoire. So I think it's really important to offer the readers variety. So I was at my parents-in-law's house and they had all these lovely glossy magazines like Country Living and there was Vanity Fair and I turned to the back page and they had what's called the Proust questionnaire, which was a series of questions which the author Marcel Proust answered at different times in his life to give a kind of impression of where he was in his life. And Vanity Fair had adapted this and used it as a celebrity interview slot. And I looked at the questions and I thought, I could do something like this for musicians. So they all answered the same questions. Mm. I've obviously adapted it slightly over the years because one wants to ask composers, for example, slightly different questions, but basically it's a template and everyone answers the same questions. And that's how it started. And I'm now at, um, I did some totting up the other day, um, over 1600 interviews over the course of 10 years. It has its own site now. I, I just couldn't accommodate it on my main blog because I had so many people wanting to take part. And I'm just astonished and very grateful as well to all the musicians who've taken part and want to take part, there's a queue of interviews waiting to be published still, and who are willing to share their insights and their wisdom. And I think it's an, a wonderful opportunity for uh, people to kind of get, get beyond the notes 
and get past the concert platform and, and understand what musicians do all day. Because um, I think there's a there's a mystique around still there's this mystique around music, classical musicians. Yeah. This idea that we we're all in these you know gilded cages and uh, <laughs> we don't see the light of day and practicing seven hours a day. And I think what the interviews do is 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 show that yes, there is this incredible commitment, but also that musicians have a life beyond that, and that actually feeds into their creative life. So that that's how it came about and where where it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, extremely interested in the people behind the, as you say, the kind of gilded cage or what people seem to put on a pedestal. So I feel like, yeah, that really chimes with us. Yeah, I was wondering whether, because. Um, you know, we try to dig a bit deeper as well. I was wondering whether there's been um, like a surprisingly common theme throughout most of the interviews or I don't know, have you found that most people have come to you with uh, an issue or being disillusioned with sort of the same thing or is it all being completely individual? Um, there are common threads um, and it's, you know, regardless of what instrument um, we're talking about. I think what what is clear in in almost every single interview is that is that the 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 um the kind of pull and the wish to 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 commit to this is is very powerful and it comes from a an early age and i can understand that you know even as an amateur musician this 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 kind of connection that you feel to your instrument and to its literature and everything that's connected with it um, but I think with a professional, that is much stronger, and and there is this willingness to to commit to the task and and an acceptance that it's it's for the long haul, that it's not easy. Um, I think that's the most interesting common thread. The other one, because one of the questions towards the end of the interview is, what is your definition of success? Now, to most people, success is is measured in monetary terms you know, how much money you earn kind of thing. Mm. And as we know, (laughs) you know, there are not that many musicians at the very top of the tree who are earning thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands, that it's it's not a well-paid profession. So people, you know, I don't think anybody has ever answered that question with sort of reference to to how much money they're earning. Um, It's all about things like the ability to leave an impression on an audience, to successfully communicate the music to the audience, much more kind of esoteric things like that, which again, I think is is really important in giving um, readers, you know, potential audiences an opportunity to understand what, what, you know, what makes musicians tick, really. I'm kind of interested at coming at it from a slightly... I don't know, I don't want it to sound like I'm really kind of questioning you, but I have got this, I suppose, worry about always asking the same questions, which is, do you ever think maybe this is something that's going to make people feel that they're inclined to compare themselves to others? Or do you think it's something where people will think, oh my gosh, I've read 10 of Francis's interviews, and in all 10 of them, people are doing one thing that I don't do or they seem to have the same path that I don't have and I feel like I don't quite fit in or there seems to be a common thread toward for everyone that's successful or sorry I'm not really explaining it very well but do you think it do, it can maybe bring comparison for some people that might be reading it 
I guess it might do, but I have to admit, I've never encountered that attitude. I mean, you know, I, I have people literally queuing up on my email asking to take part, either musicians themselves or it comes through their publicists or their agents. And I've never, I don't think, I, apart from the odd young musician who said, I don't feel ready to answer these questions at this point in my career, which is entirely understandable. I mean, I like to, to feature young musicians because I feel that, that it's very valuable publicity. Um, but I haven't encountered that at all. Um, and I feel that people are happy to answer and also are very, very honest, sometimes painfully so. I've had one or two where um, people have revealed quite um, painfully honest things about their, again, going back to conservatoire, this is a Russian pianist in particular, um, who had had a very, very negative experience at conservatoire in Russia. and. Um, you know, remarkable that she had got through that and then moved to America where her experience had become much more positive. Um, but no, I, I don't feel that there is that. I mean, that, certainly it's never, it's never been mentioned to me. Um, and I do think that the willingness for people to take part suggests that they are intrigued and interested in, in, in the way it's organised, shall we say. Mm. I guess, yeah, I guess the fact that they're queuing up is testament to, like, they want to share their story mm. and, um, yeah, I can understand both. I guess if I was faced with the same questions as somebody else, maybe I'd want to give a different answer to make myself stand out in some, some way. That's a good point. But, yeah. yeah, I can definitely see if you were a bit worried about what to say, then you might look at somebody else's and try and template. Yeah. But I, I guess... Sometimes, for our platform as well, sometimes I worry that people, because they want to share so much up to a certain point, and then I, I often wonder, because, you know, music is so reputation-based and word of mouth and everything, I wonder sometimes whether our guests hold back about something they want to say because they're worried that the wrong person might hear it. Have you ever come across any guests that you've either felt have overshared and you've asked if they've wanted to redact something yeah, or question. or whether they said actually I don't want to answer that because they're worried about saying the wrong thing um not really to be honest I mean the, the, the every single question is optional so I mean I always say to me if, if you know either the question may be irrelevant or they don't they simply don't want to answer it that's fine it's not obligatory um I find that most people will answer all of the questions and they will give very interesting answers so it's a it's an interesting one I mean there was another musician not that long ago um who was very very honest about her difficulties of performance anxiety and and again I was surprised at how open she was because this was I mean you know it's it's a still a huge issue talking about performance anxiety it's getting better but um it's still a big problem and you know a lot of musicians are very reluctant to discuss it because like you say the fear that it will affect their career the same is true of injury actually um isn't it um but she was very honest um and I reading it I thought actually other musicians may see this and feel empowered and supported by someone who was speaking out so I hope that the series offers things like that as well that that maybe others feel feel inspired and supported by other people people's responses that's definitely how I've reacted to reading it. And actually, Duncan's um, interview, 
really has stayed with me, um, especially how honest he was about his breakdown at conservatoire and all of that, because I think that's something that, you know, I went through, I had a big mental breakdown at the end of my first year and I've suffered my mental health since then. And as you say, I think it's something where it takes someone like Duncan to have the power and courage to share that and put their story out there because they know it will help someone else. And reading that, it, like even recently reading that, and I was thinking, I, I feel so much less alone. Or I, I, even what we're doing, I'm, I read that and I think, yeah, we are doing the right thing in, in asking some difficult questions, encouraging people to share, because if he can make my story feel valid, then hopefully... Yeah. You're making change. You're making change, by yeah. Slightly pushing the boat out a little bit. But it, yeah. yeah, it is always hard to know where the line is. Exactly. No, I agree. Sure. Yeah. I wonder whether. Um, so, in my head, I haven't quite. So, when you were a reviewer, was that before the Meet the Artist series? Um, no, I think. I'm trying to just remember when I started writing for Bart Track. Um, because I can certainly remember the first concert I reviewed. It was around, it was about the same time. And actually, to, to just to backtrack slightly, the fact, yes, it, it, it was about the same time. The fact that I had interviewed people meant that when I went to a concert, whether I was reviewing or simply going for my own interest, I could go to the green room afterwards and actually meet the person, because the interviews are largely conducted by email questionnaire. Uh, a couple I have done face to face I'm not a natural interviewer I prefer it to be written down like that and also I feel that it gives people an opportunity to go away and think about what they want to say um, I've done a couple over the phone um, but I prefer to do it that way but it, it means it meant then that and still means that I can go to a concert and I can go to the green room and say I'm Francis the cross-eyed pianist you know thank you for your interview and it, it, it kind of creates a really nice connection for me with with the, the person um because I do like meeting musicians in person and I also like to go after a concert and, and thank them for their performance so um it, it was quite useful to, to be doing that alongside the other things I was doing um it just for me it just felt like it was this great big soup of things musical that all connected and I really like that and I, I still like that aspect of what I do uh, yeah I think one of the things that is definitely struck me about your whole career is just how much how many things you've managed to do in combination with each other um but going back to uh the reviewing and the meet the artist I wonder whether because often I've read a maybe a review of a performance that I've done as an in an orchestra or something and not being like, I don't know, if there's ever anything negative, I feel like, oh, but they don't know, like, the musicians behind <laughs> the music. And I wonder whether your Meet the Artist series and getting to know these artists affected your work as a reviewer in terms of did you feel that there, you had more of an insight into how you could review or did it change the process at all, knowing more about the people behind the music? Well, I, I think, um, yes, that's tr uh, definitely, but also being a musician myself, um, and, you know, I, I play at a high level and I practice, uh, you know, I've been taught by professional pianists and I understand how to practice. And I appreciate the um, effort and time invested in getting ready for a concert. And I think that that still audiences, many audiences don't appreciate that. 
you know, the hours and hours, and that's all unpaid as well. Um, so I always take that understanding with me when I go to concerts. Um, and so I also appreciate that there are some times when a musician may be having an off day for whatever reason. Perhaps their journey to the concert hall was, was delayed and rushed or they stepped off a flight and they're tired and yet they've got to go and do this thing. So I've al always tried as a reviewer to be sympathetic. And I also have always felt that, that it's not the job of a reviewer, even a reviewer who has an understanding or experience of being a musician or making music to tell other musicians how to do their jobs. Um, I don't think it's helpful. I have seen a number of reviews over the time I've been writing where I've, where critics have done that. And I think it's, I, it, I, I think it's unnecessary and unreasonable. So I, I also believe that even if it's a poor performance, and you know, there's, there's times when I've been and I've just sat there and thought, this is not good. Um, I've tried to be sympathetic. So even when writing what might be deemed a more negative review, I've tried to be as kind as possible because I just think it's, I don't think it's fair to slate musicians in the public forum of music criticism. I really don't. I, d I don't think anybody gains from it, not least the musicians, because I know from my very limited experience as a performer, that when in the moments when you come off the stage, you are at your most vulnerable. And um, I mean, I've been in the green room where I've heard people going up to, to performers and, and criticizing their playing in that those 10 minutes post-performance. And I think that's dreadful. It's shocked me actually to hear people, you know, I remember somebody telling the pianist that their um, tempo in one movement of um, pictures at an exhibition was wrong. And I just think, how dare you? How dare you? You know, you go and do that. If you're going to make those, those judgments, you show us, uh, you know, you go and play it. See how hard it is kind of thing. I mean, I do feel very passionately about that. Um, and I think that that vulnerability, it, 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 I've written about vulnerability as a musician. I think it's, it can be channeled into a very positive thing. I think we need a sensitivity because we're dealing with music, which is about emotions fundamentally. Um, and so that's important, but I also think that one has to be respectful. Musicians are quite sensitive. Um, I mean, I admire those who have done things like, as I think one of them, I can't remember who it is, there's a famous violinist who, who actually would actively publish bad reviews on her website. Um, we need to talk to her, whoever she is. <laughs> that is mad, no. I would not hope. No way. <laughs> which I think is really brave, actually. Um, and then we've had the odd occasion when a musician has um, challenged a reviewer. I think it was the pianist Katia Bunyatishvili that did that. And I, I kind of understand what, understood why she did it. And actually, when I uh, reading the review in question, I, I felt she was sort of justified. And yet I also felt that she should have just moved on. Um, mm. it, it's not, I don't think it's a good idea to kind of get into these confrontations with, with, with journalists um, either. I think that one has to just draw a line. 
um, it's such it's so difficult though I, I think it's you know we are emotional people as musicians many many of them I've, I haven't met I haven't met many who have got you know rhinoceros hide skins um, you know we take take comments about our playing very seriously and so I try to be very respectful when I write about concerts and musicians mm. I think that ties back to your I mean, to the reason, really, why you took 20 years off, you know, and reason why so many people, like even my mum, she, she got to a really good level of violin, and it was the comment or one bad performance experience and the comment of her uncle that means that now the idea of picking up a violin is just filled with yeah. absolute, like, dread, fear, everything stressful, you know. So I think that's such a good point. Like, we are sensitive, and I've had that said to me, meant in a negative way before like oh I knew I knew you were like this because you're so sensitive or why do you have to be so sensitive or it, it doesn't matter who it is that says those like yeah. you know you have family members say yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff immediately after performance that they've totally. you know, obviously they've had to come and travel and sit through this performance of you at whatever level but it doesn't matter if it's a family member a professor someone you don't know whatever that comment is it can stick with you yeah it's so simple just to say like you know, move on. Not not to criticize what you said, but it, it is very simple to say move on when you know maybe someone's in a in a vulnerable state or like an emotional state where it means that moving on isn't possible or yeah. like. Well, yeah. If I said to my dad, you know that comment you said after that symphony in two thousand and fifteen, <laughs> you know I still think about that most times. I play that excerpt. He'd be like, why are you still thinking about that? Move on. And yeah, as you say, it's not as simple as that. But I know that it wasn't meant, and like he ne would yeah. never remember that he said that. So of course it's better just to draw a line under it and move on. But uh, yeah, thanks, Dad. I think I think what some, some critics and, and reviewers don't realise is that, you know, in the moments that you step off stage and in the hours and days after a concert, that one engages in a huge amount of reflection and soul searching and and thought um you know i'm sure that even the people at the top of the profession are thinking you know what what did i do what did i like about my performance what what could i change what will i do differently next time you know this this constant it's constant reflection and reevaluation and experimentation you know and every time you go to practice you you should be going through those processes so I, I do think that you know we should kind of leave musicians alone to do their jobs um, <laughs> so I see reviewing more as a, a kind of a record of an event so that it's there um, you know we have archives of, of, of reviews going back hundreds of years in fact um, and the internet of course means that they're all over the place and they're easy to find um, and I think it's important to to make a record of that event in time. Um, I don't know how I don't know how valuable musicians, professional musicians see reviews. Some I think set great store by them. And I I have come across people who have said, oh, I would never put a review by a blogger on my website, which I find quite interesting because. Um, I feel that, um, especially in recent years, the, the blogosphere and the independent reviewer and the online reviewers have a place. And it, it should not just be the preserve of the mainstream media to comment on our culture. 
you know there's a I know a lot of other bloggers culture bloggers who are um very intelligent people who have a very good understanding of what they're writing about and yet they're dismissed in a comment like that I'm I'm uncomfortable about that um I'm, I'm pleased to say that that musicians do quote me on their websites not that often but it's and it's you know it's very flattering and I feel that that that's a um, you know, it's a very nice thing to do to see one's name I don't go out don't go reviewing just to seek that I re I review because I you know I go to a concert and I think actually I'd really like to write about this I want other people to kind of experience it I mean the, the greatest compliment that someone paid me was that reading one of my reviews was like sitting in the concert with me or having a discussion in the interval or on the train home and and if I can make people feel that you know experience what it's like to be there you know I'll, I'll leave the highfalutin intellectual you know highbrow writing to others I, I want people to enjoy the experience of music whether they're reading about it or they're actually sat next to me in the concert hall yeah it sounds like that very much comes from your perspective as a performer as well like to me, that's all I would want yeah. my audience to ever experience. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, suspect that a lot of your talent as a writer and your success as a writer comes from the fact that you've had all of these angles coming at music. You know, you've the teacher, the performer, the writer. Um, I understand that you've done a bit of publicity. Yes. You've had all these different angles, which then make your perspective so well-rounded and so insightful that yeah, that, yeah uh, like of course people would quote you it's just like this direct gaze into what they are it's also amazing. like having read 1500 oh, yeah. reviews or whatever like <laughs> not reviews sorry <laughs> not the, interviews the, like the, different insights into musicians life like I just cannot like I just doesn't even you know it's like you, you know probably so many different musical personalities and ideas and things that come through and I think a big part of what we're trying to do is to talk about okay music can be beneficial for our well-being music can be beneficial for our mental health and all of this but in terms of the actual lives of musicians how how do you find how important do you think it is that when a musician is interviewed they talk about their playing their music, their career, their success, and how much do you think maybe we should be asking questions more to do with them as a human being? Oh gosh, um, well, it's it sort of. I suppose it partly depends on on who who is the audience for such an interview. So going, it, it relates to my own series that that there is this fascination with with what musicians do all day, um, and and what makes them tick. Um, I mean, from my point of view as a musician, I am interested in in things like what why people you know select certain repertoire, um, how they were trained, the things that that kind of help them with their interpretation of a piece. I mean, again, one of the questions in my interview is what do you do off off stage that provides inspiration for on stage? And some people just say, well, I sit quietly and think about the music before I go on stage. Others talk about going for walks in, in forests or um, enjoying cooking or, you know, and again, it just r reminds us that we're dealing with ordinary people. Well, they are, they're ordinary and extraordinary. And I've also written about that. <laughs> you know, I think, I think musicians are extraordinary people. Um, 
so it's it's a tricky one um i mean i i personally am very i'm very interested in what what, what other things are going on in a musician's life but it, it it does depend on the audience i mean i think what you're doing is really important because it's getting musicians and people in the industry to talk about the other things especially the things that are somewhat still taboo um and i think the more people feel comfortable about discussing things like injury and performance anxiety and you know bullying at conservatoire and stuff like that is is actually very important but one is always mindful that you know you, you can overshare and it, it might come back and bite you so it, it's it's very very difficult and like I say also we're dealing with sensitive people who are engaged in you know high art and bringing that art to others in the most beautiful way they possibly can it yeah <laughs> it is so tricky and I, I do feel that that is where I feel our audience is is particularly people that are also struggling with those things that want to see those conversations whereas I don't feel we get so many people that are coming at it from like a review point or at the moment we're just building it up from people that Share a similar view. Yeah, who are like yeah. love oversharing and yeah, you know yeah. all this kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've already said it today, but it is such a fine line of knowing yeah. where is too much, and as you say, what might come back to bite you. And yeah, I think I'll, I'll come at it from a point of view where, and this is only my own experience, but I think because I got to the point where my actual sense of being alive had gone. Not to be completely dark, but like because I was so unwell that even being a human, let alone a musician, was impossible. I feel like because I know that experience exists and I know that musicians can suffer to the level where they can't practice and they can't function in in society. Then I feel like actually at the moment I'm a little bit obsessed with coming it from that side first and not from the sort of who are you as a musician? Oh, and do you, you know, and what's your stuff outside as well? You know, I, I think probably only because of my own experience but I, I'm always just kind of really interested in like where when has been your real dark time and I think your point about the dark places has been very apparent over the last two years I've had many conversations with musician friends and colleagues um, and some have revealed this in their interviews about the effects of the lockdowns and and you know the closure of our cultural life and you know some some have had serious conversations with themselves and their families and others about whether it's worth pursuing a career as a professional musician and I found that incredibly upsetting um you know I I know of several who have decided that it's not worth it and they've gone and done other things um and it's it's tragic to hear that um and you know I, I mean I've I've come across people at the beginning of the lockdown sort of saying things like well it's wonderful for musicians because you've got all this time to practice now and there was like yes initially it was fantastic you had all this time to practice I had all this time to write all my publicity work stopped the moment the concert halls shut in mid-March in 2020 I had no work um, and I thought yeah I can do some really serious writing and other musician friends and colleagues were like yes I'm going to practice I'm going to, I'm going to take this chance to learn learn the, the list sonata or the hammer clavier or something and then as the weeks rolled on you think 
when is it going, you know, the time suddenly stopped being a luxury and it became this kind of weight. I felt it with my writing. I lost the will to write. I found the lockdowns absolutely soul sapping um, in terms of creativity. And, and I, you know, I find with writing, it's like music practice. You have to do it regularly. Otherwise you get out of the routine. And, and to have these days where it was the same every day, uh, I know that lots of musicians felt this and became incredibly dismotivated. And, you know, you start to think, what's the point? What's the point? Um, but it's, you know, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, to see a full house at our Weymouth lunchtime series and the audience coming out smiling and complimenting the performer and the joy that, that the music gives, I hope that that is the thing that, that encourages people not to give up because um, we, you know, we need them. It's such an important part, I think, an important part of our, our life to have that. Um, mm. But it's so sad to hear of people that have just become so disillusioned. And, it, you know, it, it, it also revealed the fragility of the profession. You know, so many are peripatetic, freelance. It's really tough. It's tough when we're not in a global pandemic, isn't it? And, and I think it really highlighted the fragility of the profession. And for a lot of people, it was it was too much to bear. It's terribly sad. It's really upset me. I can so imagine, especially seeing as it felt like it was a really kind of bountiful place before that. Like I felt like there was sort of so much at our fingertips in terms of classical yeah. music before. And I can so see that through your blog as well. Like it must have felt like got all these amazing people doing amazing things like there's so much creativity going on and and then now it's just felt like building from the bottom up again yeah, same it's sort of fragility like you said yeah serious fragility yeah i think it's given a lot of people in addition to the sort of what i've just said about having you know reevaluating your career um it's reminded me of a conversation i had with a pianist friend this was back in the summer of 2020 and he said we're going to have to be a lot less fancy about where we play. And I thought that was a really good comment and it stayed with me that, that you know, one can't be so choosy. So if a, a music society in um, Bognor Regis gets in touch and says, you know, will you come and play? And this is the fee and it's perhaps not what you would normally get, but, you know, it's an opportunity. I think he had a point, valid point, that you can't be quite so choosy. Um, I, I do sense a much greater positivity now. I feel that our cultural life has bounced back pretty well. And I think it's a mark of how much people value it and want it. Um, but I, yeah, it's it's been a period of a great deal of soul searching for a lot of people. And I think also that, yeah, that soul searching has infused with the desire to get the culture back and actually in the same way that the culture has come back because we want it this it's been enriched by all these questions that we've asked asked ourselves and I also feel that there has been a trend towards making music more accessible in the past Mm -hmm. couple of years and slightly before the pandemic that actually your comment about not being choosy about where to play it also kind of ties into helping accessibility of music mm. um, which oh, is good thinking about alternative venues or alternative ways of presenting it or just alternative audiences alternative audiences yeah, yeah. and obviously pay is a whole different matter but if yeah. it if it means that more people are 
listening to this kind of music, then that's kind of what we were aiming for anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, you know, the amount of musical performance that was being put out online, um, you know, from from people just playing in their living rooms to, to when the Wigmore Hall launched its live stream in June 2020 and has continued to do that you know things like that I think have been wonderful and like you say it's it's opened the art form up to a wider audience whether that live uh, online audience translates into uh, people buying tickets for live concerts I don't know I hope it has helped I think it's a difficult one because I think it's also made people think oh well I can have this from the luxury of my living room for free Um, so that's that's a, a difficult one, but I I think that the, it's had a generally a positive benefit, and I, I think that um, yeah, just being able to, to I mean my husband who is not a huge classical music fan by any means, but is <laughs> learning to like it through me. Um, <laughs> you know, we we've watched things at home on live stream, and he, he's been able to. I think he's someone that feels quite intimidated by somewhere like the Wigmore Hall, but to watch from our sofa and to chat about the music whilst we're watching it and have a glass of wine and things like that, it makes the experience much more accessible. We use that word a lot, don't we? But it's it's true and, and um, a kind of more relaxed experience. And I, I've noticed that, that, you know, the few concerts I've been to in London since things started to open up again, that there is a, a different atmosphere um, I think a slightly more relaxed atmosphere in in making audiences feel much more comfortable and and accommodating them um, in a slightly different way. So I, I hope that you know we're we're going to welcome more and younger audiences. I also I mean I think that things like Meet the Artist and things where you can see further past the barrier between the stage and stuff is only going to help people want to come and experience these humans that play music (laughs) yes i think that's the important thing is to remember that musicians are human (laughs) yeah that's just something that throughout this whole interview i've been thinking but that's just not what i thought when i was learning i just i thought we were just a bit special you know yeah a bit bit robotic a bit special a bit sort of like oh i can't go out on the weekend because i've got to practice or (laughs) You know, I, because of how my musical education was, it just felt a little bit exclusionary, mm-hmm. you know. But I think what, you're, what you've brought back is this sense of, like, it's like, like you can do it your way, you know, because there are so many different paths people have taken, the path that you've taken, like, it's really shown me and given me kind of courage to, to do it my own way that's yeah. in line with who we really are. I'm just wondering, um, to finish... If I'm trying to think of a, a good question to finish on, that's always the one. That's <laughs> always the one, yeah. Oh, Do you have any good question to finish on? I was going to say, has there ever been a time where you haven't wanted to write about music? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've talked about the lockdowns, and um, that that and I that was when I didn't want to write about music. I wasn't listening to music. Um, the the last concert I went to before the lockdown was at the end of February 2020 and I went to an incredible Beethoven recital at the Wigmore Hall with a friend of mine um, and it was one of those evenings when you know you you look across at your concert companion and you're like what did we just hear it was mm. just electrifying and I saw lots of friends there and it was just fantastic um, 
it was a wonderful experience. I didn't know that that would be the last concert I'd go to with Mahal for two years. I'm going tomorrow night for the first time since then. And then I I was sent this pianist's box set of the Beethoven piano sonatas, and I, I listened to it, um, listened to the complete set of CDs, and I wrote a review. And then I just thought, I, I just don't want to listen to classical music. It, it, initially, I felt such a tremendous loss tremendous sense of loss just even just listening to radio three made me miss the i love live music i think you probably were that i love the experience of going to, i always have done even as a little girl i used to love going to concerts um and i still do and i miss that so much and i just couldn't listen to music and i just felt very disinclined to write about it i got sent lots and lots of cds and actually just as an aside one thing that seems to have happened over the course of the last two years a lot of people have been in the recording studio producing cds i mean duncan my friend duncan honeyborn has i think done three or four and he actually said to me that he turns them out he felt he's he found that the the um lockdowns actually very positive because it enabled him to spend much more time on on the repertoire that interested him because he's got a busy life as a teacher as well um, so I was amazed at how many CDs I was being sent, you know, with the expectations that I might listen to them and review them. And I had no inclination to do that. Um, my son, who's grown up, was living with us um, because he was out of work during lockdown. And I ended up listening to hip hop and reggae with yeah. him. Um, and it was one of those strange things, which is actually something that I would say to someone who is unsure about engaging with classical music for the first time you know initially it's like hip-hop no way I'm not listening to that um the more I listened to it and understood it and talked about it with my son the more I found myself appreciating it so it's that familiarity thing um yeah I just it, it was very difficult um but then I got some bits and pieces of work which kept me occupied and then I had a job in 2020 writing teaching notes for um, Trinity, mm. for the piano syllabus. And that was actually really good because it was, it, it felt meaningful and it was writing about music in a very concise way. Um, and that, you know, like I said, it's, it's the whole thing of habit and routine. Gradually, I started doing it again. I started writing articles also, which were much more reflective on, on partly on the effect of lockdown, which we just talked about, but kind of reflecting on, you know, my experience over a long time with music, you know, f- memories of past concerts, things like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing. Um, it, it, it's a similar thing to the, the pull of the instrument, the, the, the need to, to write stuff down. Yeah, I think you find that if you talk to other... A very good friend of mine is a, a writer who's about to um, publish her first novel, but she's had several other books non-fiction prior to that and we talk a lot about this this urge to to do it um and you have to kind of keep feeding feeding the the urge feeding the muse tossing the tiger (laughs) (laughs) regularly and that you know it's I think all creative people would probably agree with that regardless of what their discipline is Absolutely. So, do you have any exciting project for the future that we can shout out or anything exciting or any exciting interview coming to the blog or anything? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, it doesn't I have to be. 
I can't remember who's in the queue for, for forthcoming interviews. Well, I've mentioned the fact that the Meet the Artist series is 10, and I think that's amazing. And I can't believe that, that an idea that came to me, you know, one Sunday afternoon has taken off this way. Um, and I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to everybody who's participated in it and continues to participate and all the, also all the publicists and PRs and agents and others who have put forward people and continue to. Um, the, the new series on my blog for this year is this repertoire in focus, which is uh, guest posts largely. I think it's important that readers hear from other voices apart from me all the time. So I always, I do invite others um, to contribute and that's already proving a very interesting series with people you know writing about repertoire that interests them and their own insights into learning it not just professional musicians amateurs as well so I hope that that will have some value um, I don't know what the future holds I've always said about the blog that whilst I'm continue to be interested in doing it then it will exist so I hope it might be celebrating its 15th birthday so if people want to follow you can you let us know like how they can find you online sure so the blog is cross pianist one word dot com on twitter which is where I spend far too much time <laughs> <laughs> and how we met <laughs> it's how we met yeah um, I'm cross-eyed piano um I have a Facebook page for the blog and the Meet the Artist has its own Facebook page as well and the Meet the Artist site is separate um, and so you key in Meet the Artist you'll find it um, that's really where I am oh I've, I'm on Instagram isn't everybody but I, I don't really I don't use it as much as as Twitter um, yeah and you know if you're at the Whitmore Hall you might run into me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for much. honestly, like we've covered pretty much everything. The whole of life. The whole of life. <laughs> and it's just been amazing to speak to speak to someone like you who's kind of done what we wanna do but kind of for longer and from a different angle and it's just been really, really interesting. I feel like got so much to think about and like learn. Yeah, so thank you so much. And it does um final question. Uh, if, if people want to get involved with the Meet the Artist series, are you still taking sort of submissions for that? Yep, totally. They just have to, they can, they don't even have to ask. They can simply go to the site. You can go to the About page on the site and download an interview template, fill it in and send it to me. My email address is on the form. I, I actually really like people to just get on with it. You know, I have people sort of writing saying, may I take part? And I'm like, yes, just, you know, get, get <laughs> yeah, busy. Get I love that. Fill it in. I'm so um, obsessed yeah. with that idea. Yeah. That's so good that you haven't, like, sort of invites only or anything. It's like anyone can... No, it's not. It's, I don't want it to be like that. Because, again, I want to encourage also particularly younger artists mm. to take part. You know, the, the, the well-known ones, they don't need my help, although some of them are on the site. But I'm much more interested in, in younger younger or lesser-known people having an opportunity to... Because everybody has something valuable to say. Um, yeah, and also guest posts on my main site. I'm always interested if people have a you know an urge to write about something that's related to music. It doesn't have to be piano related. You know, the, the site is a music site. I mean, I have a obviously focus on the piano, but yeah. So please get in touch with me. Um, oh, contribute. Join the conversation. That's what, that's the wonderful.